You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can, or, or you can go to our webpage at letstalktorah.net, that's letstalktorah.net, and you can check out the archives, check out the new shows. You can send me comments, questions. We can answer you. And, of course, the all-important donate button is right there. And you can hit that donate button. We have different levels. And and um, if you want a shout-out or in memory of or anniversary or happy birthday, we're glad to do it. Or you can stay anonymous like everyone seems to like to do right now. But, again... Um, we are open for business, and if you could help us, that would just be amazing. So I just got back. Um, I had um, yard site this week, the anniversary of my father's death. I, we have a family get-together, and people will make what's called a seum, and that's uh, um, just on the completion of either a tractate or, or an order of Mishnah, and they'll... There's some blessings that are said, and there's a Kaddish that's said. It was really beautiful. Actually, um, all the boys, me and my two brothers, all made different siyumim. My brother-in-law made a siyum. He actually said something beautiful. My brother-in-law, he said that by the first anniversary after his mother's death, my father actually, hadn't told anybody, actually made a siyum on the completion of the Mishnah in her memory. So my brother-in-law says, that that's, he didn't even tell anybody he was doing it. And I shouldn't go ahead, and on the anniversary of his death, on his yard, said I shouldn't go ahead and, and make a seam on the Mishnah. So he did. It was really very beautiful. But the best part for me personally was I was there with my nephew. My nephew was in ninth grade. And uh, he's in a school that their their level of Jewish education in certain areas, like in the Talmud, is a little weaker than where I happen to send my children. But this boy has taken to learning Talmud. He loves it. He told me, he said, Uncle Tzvi, I think he calls me Uncle Tzvi, he may have just said you. But he said, Uncle Tzvi, I am in the advanced Talmud class. I said, please, Yonatan, tell me, what does that mean? So he says, that means that they take the top boys from ninth and 10th grade. He said, there's 30 boys in this advanced class. And they have an extra period of Talmud, plus they have to commit, and I'm not sure how many times a week, but after school is over, they call it night seder. But after school's over, again, I don't know if it's every day or a couple days a week, that I forgot to ask him. And we have to have a, an additional study time. I said, great, what are you studying? I said, we're studying the third chapter in 
Rosh Hashanah. We just finished the third chapter in Rosh Hashanah, the tract Rosh Hashanah. I said, great. So he says, please ask me questions. Okay. So I started asking him questions. It happens to be I'm in the middle of learning that with one of my sons. And in the summer I taught it. So it's a little fresh in my memory. And I'm asking him questions, trying to find easier ones, medium ones. And, and then some of the questions started to get a little hard. As we were getting involved in different thoughts and questions, I wanted to think and answer and what he thought. And we're having a grand time by the table. And again, when my mother does this party, it's sort of like, like it's like an open seating. Like there's one table that holds eight people, but there's 35 people hanging around. There's another table that holds another 10 people, and everyone's uh, getting their food and making their deli sandwiches or getting their chicken fingers or, or getting, not the cake, the cake came out later, or, um, or potato salad, love potato salad, or coleslaw or whatever, and we're just, you know, all hanging and... The, you know, I'm starting to ask questions. The questions are getting a little bit harder. So he said just a beautiful thought. Like from a ninth grader, they could verbalize this. It was just incredible. He says, please don't ask me hard questions. I need to be pumped about how well I'm doing. And that is just a beautiful thought. Now, of course, we're all trying to study but when it comes to Torah study and it comes to studying the Talmud, you know, everyone has to be comfortable, happy, excited to study. And everyone has to study on their level. I study with great rabbis. I'm sure if the rabbi wanted, in 30 seconds or less, he could start asking me questions and I would, I would not know what he's talking about. I would know what he's talking about. So I want to study on my level. I don't want to study like a third grader. Right, but I, I also don't want to study like somebody who's brilliant and who's spent the last fifty years in brilliance with the most brilliant people uh, asking me questions, which is beyond you know beyond what I can handle. I want to be on my level, and this boy understands. Don't talk to me like he's he's basically saying, you know, you've been studying Talmud for many years. I'm a ninth grader. We are not." On the same level, make sure that you're on my level. That way I can be proud of where I'm up to. And that was just brilliant. And I was so proud of him. And that's all I wanted was to make him excited. So, and I didn't, you know, I was trying to figure out what I could ask, what I can't ask. And certain things, clearly his teachers didn't teach him, which is fine. You know, everybody's teaching what, you know, works for them. So I said, you know, why don't you ask me questions? Oh, he loved that. Because then he can think of things that he knows he's comfortable with. And sometimes I'll say, oh, I don't remember. That really pumps him up. Or it's a conversation. It's just He's able to show off where he's up to. It was really, the whole evening was beautiful. But when I went to my father's grave um, to visit the grave the next morning, so um, I told my father this story. Now I always wonder, like, do I have to go to the gravesite to say this story? I, I can't say the story right where I am. I could. I could. But it just feels more powerful. And I know that, that me having that conversation, studying with this grandson of my father, would have made him so proud. And I say would have. Did. We do believe that the, the soul does know what's going on. And the soul benefits 
when his descendants, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so forth, are doing good deeds, studying Torah. So this kind of conversation that this nephew was so excited to learn would have would have just he would have quelled. Everybody has to know the word quell. If you don't know the word quell, it means exactly what you think it means. It means he was enjoying, excited. Okay. That doesn't have much to do with this week's Torah portion, but that's okay. Let's get into it. Um, so, you know, I ended, I, I would like to continue from there because there, there, there's some good messages I wanted to bring out, but I barely made it. If you listen to the last show, so the last show we were looking where it says Jerusalem. So the answer is when this Malki Tzedek of, uh, of Jerusalem comes to meet Abraham. And it says, first he brought out bread and wine. And then it says he gave him a blessing. Okay? So it's interesting. First he gave him bread and wine, food, right? And then, then, he, gave, then he gave him a blessing. So the Kedushas Levi, Levi Yitzhak Baditchev, um, who, which they, uh, Artsko recently put out um, his, his book called The Kedush Levi. Um, they, they printed it three volumes. It's written very nicely, very clear. They try to bring out um, his, his thoughts and, and what, he, what, he's, what he's trying to accomplish with each thought. So I'm into it. I, don't say, I can't say I do everything he says on each story portion, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get through it in my extra time. So, so, but I saw elsewhere this, a story with the Kedush Slavey. And the story goes like this. Um, he was collecting for somebody. Somebody came to him. His child's getting married. He doesn't have any money. So the Rebbe Yitzhak is going collecting. So he goes to another city, and he goes to a wealthy man. And that wealthy man held he was a pretty righteous guy and a pretty uh, smart guy. And he's giving blessings to Rebbe Yitzhak. Oh, you should be successful in your endeavor and... You should be able to find all the money you're looking for. So Levi Yitzhak said, you have it backwards. It says Malki Tzedek first brought out bread and wine and then gave blessings. You want to give me blessings? No problem. First give me something, then give me a blessing. Anyways, so um, there's... um, yeah, the, these are the Torah portions where we talk about the ten tests of Abraham. And what I tried to do in the last show was we were going through pretty quickly, a pretty quick pace to get through some of the tests. We didn't even bring up they were tests. But we were talking about, about um, Abraham is told to go to the land of Israel, and now I want to sort of get into it. The beginning of, of this Torah portion is Lech Lecha, which means to go, and that's the first test. Now, it is interesting um, that when God tells Abraham to go to Israel, he actually doesn't say go to Israel. He actually says go. And everybody wants to know why doesn't God just say where he wants him to go? Like, it's true Abraham knew where he was supposed to be going. Great. But just just make it clear. 
go to the land of Israel? And there's multiple answers. But the Kedushas Levi, this Levi is a Vedicha that we were talking about before, um, he gives a, 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 an interesting answer. And that answer that, that he gives why God doesn't say go to Israel actually answers another question. So, again, let's, first of all, let's general, generalize. Let's get the basic picture. God tells Abraham to go. That's test number one. Abraham goes to Israel, and he ends up when there's a hunger going on. There's no food. Can't stay here. So he goes down to Egypt. That is considered test number two. Then his wife is kidnapped, and that's debatable, but it would seem that's test number three. And then Abraham comes back to Israel with a lot of wealth, and then you have the fight with Abraham and Lot and the shepherds. could be that's test number four. Then we're going to get into the war with the four and five kings, and that seems to be test number five. Um, but in, the, in, in this you know, outline that I've just given you, so Abram goes to Israel, and then there's a hunger, and he goes down to Egypt. Now, God said, go to Israel. I'm sorry. God said, go. When you get there, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when you got the right place when you get there. Now, good. It's true Abraham knew that he's supposed to go to Israel. So if Abraham knew that he was supposed to go to Israel, and that was the test, go, then what's he going down to Egypt for? God did say go to Egypt. If God said go to Israel, then that's the test. You, you don't get to leave. Why are you leaving? Who told you to leave? Where would you get this from? So that's what the Kedush Levi says. He says, if God would have said go to Israel, then even though there's a hunger when Abraham gets there, he doesn't have permission to go down to Egypt. Now you're failing the test, right? But no, God said, go, right? So you will use your intelligence and circumstances to figure out what God wants you to do. So first, God wants me to go to Israel. Oh, God makes a hunger. Now that God makes a hunger, right? So now God doesn't want me in Israel anymore. He wants me to go down to Egypt. So this way, by not dictating where you're supposed to be going, automatically makes it that you're going to Israel is correct and going down to Egypt is also correct. Now, I, let's look at something else. There's another aspect. And again, there's a lot of, there's just so many answers and we, we can't focus on all of them, but I think some of them are, are giving us amazing lessons. You know, um, the language of go is lech, lecha. Happens to be a play on words because both words are spelled the same. But it's lech, lecha, go for yourself. Now, what do you mean go for yourself? What, 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 just go. Go for yourself. So Rashi says that that means it's going to be for your benefit. But there's a, there's a different reason that I saw, and that is that we talked about in the last show, there's more details in the last show if you want to go back, but we said 
that Abraham had sort of shown up Nimrod because uh, Nimrod um, had Abraham thrown into the fire and Abraham comes out alive. So you can imagine that Nimrod is not so pleased with Abraham and he's looking to get him. Now, this didn't happen right away because it says Abraham got married. A friend told me last night Abraham was 25 when he got married. I actually asked my friend, how do you know? So there's a, there's a, a, a book called Seder Hadoros that actually um, is with a lot of historical numbers about what happens in the Torah. And he says Abraham got married at 25. Now, coming out of the cave, um, whether Abraham was 3 or 12 or 13 or whatever age, it would seem that the story with Abraham destroying the idols of his father Terach takes place before Abraham gets married. And when he travels to Israel, he's 75 already. So we got a long distance over here between when Abram goes into the, into the fiery furnace and when he gets married and travels to Israel. But in any case, one thing I think we could be certain is, you, can, you know, maybe Nimrod, maybe time is not right. The time is not appropriate for Nimrod to go kill Abraham or go after him because, look, he just got saved by the fire. So clearly, you know, Abraham um, is not somebody you want to start up right now but you're going to bide your time. So if you're Abraham and you're married, you got to worry about your wife, and okay, you don't have kids yet, but you're, you're probably always looking over your shoulder to see if Nimrod is coming after you or if Nimrod is sending people after you. So you can imagine that if you're Abraham, you're running to get out. You're running to get out of that neighborhood. right? So what's Lech Lecha? Right? So you're not leaving you're not going to Israel because you're because you want to go. You're just going maybe because you want to get away from Nimrod. So on this, it's lecha. You're going for yourself, right? You're not going because you're looking over your shoulder and you're worried about Nimrod. You're you're going because you want to go. It is once we talk about these, you know, we talk about the last show that Abraham, and we just talk about it now that. Abram goes into the fire because he's not accepting Nimrod as, as God. Abram discovered who God is. So that's test number one. So the question is, the idea of the ten tests that Abram receives, it would make sense that the first test is the easiest, and the second test is harder, and the third test is harder. Right? Every time you pass a test, the question will get harder. Which, right, is part of the story I told my nephew, right? And I was, as the questions I was asking him were getting harder, so, you know, I, I got to the point where it was too hard for him. No problem. So we back it off, right? Make the questions, go back to stuff that's on his level. So jumping into a fiery furnace, willing to give up your life, right? That's a test. Traveling to Israel? Why is that hard? And even if you're going to tell me it's a test, but it would seem that the test of traveling should be easier than the test of putting your life on the line, jumping into a fire. So I saw a, a brilliant answer, just a beautiful thought. Chaim Ben says, the first test 
is are you willing to die for God? Are you willing to to sacrifice your life, as we say to be most in Nefesh, will you give up your life in order to serve God? That's one way of serving God. But the next test is, are you willing to live to serve God? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone? Abraham's been in that Orchasm area for over 50 years. He's got a lot of followers. He's well-known. He's settled. Are you willing to leave your comfort zone now to do what you want to do, to the same thing, really, but to go serve God? You're going to go to strangers. There's going to be challenges, right? That's a real test. You know, it's, I'm not saying everyone can do it, but, you know, a test, are you willing to die for what you believe? Yeah, you'll die for what you believe. But are you willing to live for what you believe? Which means that when challenges arise, and challenges always arise, and when things come up and you're, you're not as comfortable as you would like to be, right? Are you willing to change, right? How many of us, once we get comfortable, and I think most of us, you know, you get married, you have family, and you have a job, and, or whatever you do for a living, and, and now are you willing to uproot everything because you know that's what God wants you to do. And you're going to have to restart again. I know myself, I'm very happy um, where I am. Yes, I've changed. And yes, I've done new things. And yes, I put myself in different situations. And and as a fundraiser, and I'll put myself in uncomfortable situations. Sure, making a phone call to raise money, not easy. Not easy. But for the most part, that's my new comfort zone. Am I willing to change if that's what God wants? Not so easy. So once we're talking about traveling and, you know, things happen when people travel, I saw a very fascinating story um, about somebody who, what, what his challenge was when he was traveling. So the story is told with a Sir Mayor Zeligman, um, who, from uh, Chicago, from, sorry, from Cleveland, and when he was younger, he, he kept up his daily study routine of learning one folio, one daf of Talmud every day, 63 years, which basically is nine cycles, probably eight cycles of the Talmud. 63 years, never missed a day. Now, This Rameir Zalgman, he made sure that his son Simcha also made sure to every day never miss a day of studying. And he actually would study with his son. This, this Simcha would study with his father, this Rameir Zalig, every day. And uh, one day he had to travel, um, and he was traveling down. Um, where is he traveling to? I read my story over here. Uh, one second, and, oh, so he had to go, normally he's driving Toronto and Detroit and, and Chicago and even New York, but you're always, you know, not too far away from finding a place with a, with a, 
that has a tractate that you're studying. Anyways, but for whatever reason, um, he had to travel for medical reasons to Virginia. And he borrowed a minivan, and he's with his wife and his son, and they're on a 10-hour trip to Virginia. And three hours into the drive, he realizes he forgot his Gemara. He forgot his tractate. Now, nowadays, big deal. You pull up your, you pull up your computer, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you got, and you pull up the folio of the Talmud, it's easy as apple pie. But these were the days where eh, there was no computers. There, 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 there was no iPhone. There was no, we're, you're in the middle of nowhere, you're three hours already out of Cleveland, and you're on your way to Virginia, where are you going to find a Gemara? And, and he was beside himself. So he calls his father, and his father says, you know, uh, there's a new invention out there called a fax machine. You, you go, you know, tell me where you are, where are you planning on staying tonight? Oh. Anyways, such a good story. Um, to make a long story short, um, his father calculated where he was going to be. He ends up in a city in the middle of nowhere. There happens to be one fax in one of five hotels. He shows up in the hotel, and there the guy says, Oh, are you Rabbi Man? Yeah, father sent you, um, your father sent you um, these pages of the Talmud to study. Amazing. But we, we don't got time. The music is playing. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. You know, I can't do it without you. And I'd like to thank my wonderful sponsor listeners, as always. And thank you, of course, to our wonderful production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. <laughs>